What's going on, everybody? And welcome into the 126th episode of the Crazy One Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Stephen Gates, and this is the show where we talk about creativity, leadership, design, and a whole bunch of other stuff that helps empower creative people. Now remember, you can listen to all the shows, get the show notes, and a whole bunch more. You can always just head over to thecrazyone.com. It's the words, the crazy and the number one.com. Do me a favor, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform, and also, while you're there, take just a couple seconds and leave a review for the show. Always appreciate it, the only payment I ever ask, and brings more people into the show to get them help. And also, remember, The Crazy One is on YouTube, so you can get some career coaching tutorials, masterclasses, see old keynotes, bunch of new interviews that I've been doing recently. Again, just head over to thecrazyone.com slash YouTube to get all of that. Now... This is going to be an interesting episode, because this episode has been, what, probably about six months in the making? And you may have seen on social media that back in May, and we've talked about it a bit here on the show, I got laid off from my last job. Talked about it a bit, but it's been a strange and interesting journey that taught me a lot. It actually taught me so much that it's actually really changed my point of view. And that change of point of view has changed the direction of my career. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I think a big change is coming in the creative industry. And it's something I haven't seen in a while. And I think it's something that's going to create both some opportunities and some challenges for all of us. So that's what we want to talk about in the show. We want to talk about what do I think is actually going on in the industry here at the end of 2022? Why is all that stuff that's going on driving so much change in companies in the job market? What is this big shift that I think is coming over these next few years and how all of this has set me in this new direction? And I think hopefully can give you some insight that will help you be able to shape the direction you want to take your career. Now, what's it been? I think at this point, probably six months since I made that initial announcement that I got laid off. It's been an interesting journey. Like I said, I've, I've shared this a bunch on social media, but over that six months, I'd say what? I probably applied to somewhere north of 150 positions. I've had initial interviews with over 70 companies. I had in-depth interviews. So that'd be second round or later with 30 different companies. Uh, then there's the other side of that process where I had over 20 of those companies decide to just ghost me, meaning we're in the process, we're in conversations, and they just decided to never write back. I got probably about three offers through that process, um, declined all of them for various reasons, just because it didn't feel like it was a good fit. But it's been an interesting journey because I think that initial announcement, so I got I got the news I was getting laid off on a Thursday, I got laid off on a Friday, went out Monday and made that announcement. I think that, that initial announcement got like 400,000 impressions in like 72 hours, so big splash. And I got to be honest, I never thought I'd be here six months later and not be part of an in-house team. That's not anything that's ever happened in my career. I sort of, I guess, arrogantly felt like because of my background and resume and what I've accomplished and what I've done in the industry and tr the way I try to give back, right? Like that would that would be enough to be able to, to sort of really let me get into some another interesting problem to work on. Well, obviously that didn't happen. And that's humbling, right? It's hard to talk about. I think it definitely, it causes a lot of self-reflection. It causes a lot of imposter syndrome. It, it causes a lot of, it causes a lot of a lot, right? <laughs> I think it causes, we can all admit it, it causes a lot of a lot. Um, 
but it taught me some things, right? I think first, it's just clear to me right now that the industry is in a place that I haven't ever really seen before, where it feels like my experience, my leadership style, my values, and, and I think honestly, with a lot of this going on in the economy, the monetary value that I place on those things just aren't aligned with what in-house teams are looking for. I think that happens for a number of different reasons that that we're going to get into. But I think the other thing was whenever you go through a process that long, right? Whenever you go through, when you're waiting on that many callbacks that don't come, when you're waiting on that many next steps that don't happen, whenever you're in a process so many times and they go with somebody else for whatever those reasons were, it, it makes you take a step back and just take a look at yourself, take a look at the industry. And I think one of the things that I found when I was really honest with myself was that I spent the first two months really institutionalized in my thinking, right? Like my future had to be with another in-house team. That's where I've been. That's what I've been doing for so long, right? Like that's where it had to be. But whenever I took a step back, I could see that out of all those conversations, I found a handful, I would say, honestly, maybe four or five, maybe at most, that were ones that I really got excited about. That, you know, they were things that I was like, you know, that is an amazing problem. That's an amazing team. That's a leader I could get inspired by. That's somebody I want to work with. What I found was that in so many of those conversations, I wasn't getting excited about the company culture or their leadership or the way they valued design or the direction their product was going. I found so many people that just sort of seem to be going through the motions. So many companies that it just, it's just like, look, I've seen this movie before. I, I can tell within a couple of conversations exactly where the dysfunction is, exactly how design is struggling, right? Like I've done this enough times. I've worked as a consultant long enough. I've seen this movie before. And I would, like I said, I would just go through these conversations and know how it was going to end. That that it it really was a fascinating journey. And and I, like I said, I think I spent a long time trying to figure out what was broken in me, what was wrong. Because I think that's a natural part of any job search is the self-reflection, doubt, and destruction of your ego self-worth, like a lot of things trying to figure out what decisions you could have or should have done or made differently as you've gone through your career. Because you're at this moment where all of a sudden all the context and all this is stripped away and you're just left with, how do I talk about four or five years worth of work in a 15-minute case study? You know, throughout this journey, I'm just at this place where it's just like, look, and I, and I think like so many people I've talked to, I just want to make great stuff with great people. I want to work with people in a company that respects me. And look, I think it'd even be nice if I could have some fun along the way. If if it felt like we were doing something and that our energy was going towards the creativity and the work, not towards the politics, the company, the culture, the red tape, the like just all the other stuff that kind of kept getting in its way. And I kept asking myself, why is this so hard? What's going on that's making me feel this way? And I think the interesting thing was, as I started to share this, I started to see how many other people were going through this, either in public comments, um, hundreds and hundreds, if not maybe thousands of private messages and emails. And, you know, that was why I guess I've decided to talk about this, to share this, because, look, I think part of this is obviously something that's kind of been developing for a while. 
And I think that, you know, this show's been in the making for the last six months to be able to get to this point where I felt like I had a good enough perspective to talk about it. But I just want to sort of quickly say, because a lot of people have had questions about why am I talking about it, right? Like, why am I sharing this? Am I not afraid that I'm going to piss off the companies that I interviewed with? Am I not going to alienate myself from the industry? Am I not going to? Um, and to which, to which my response would be, I think, you know, look, um, not naming anybody by name, not naming any companies by name, not doing any of these sort of things. But I think that there's a couple things that we need to be able to look at first and foremost and be able to try to renormalize. Um, one of it for me, and I think this is the most personal, is I guess I've really wanted to kind of destroy this concept that I think too many people have, that there's a point in your career where you like, quote unquote, make it. Because I think people seem to think that there is a time when you're no longer inflicted by imposter syndrome. You no longer get rejected. You don't feel depressed. You don't feel like a failure. You know, and again, so many people be like, oh my God, it's got to be so amazing. You can work wherever you want. That is categorically and obviously at this point, not true. And, and I've gone through phases, right, where I feel like a real fraud. I've talked about how I lost the drive or lost where I felt like I had the authority to even host this show because of that. But I think that for me, it really is that just because I've accomplished whatever people think I've accomplished doesn't make me immune from anything that anybody is going through in any stage of their career. Getting laid off, feeling imposter syndrome, being frustrated with this process. I think so much of what I talked about back in episode 100, because in that centennial episode, I wanted to talk about what I thought was a, uh, a real problem. And, and we talked about how so many of us chase these invisible scripts and standards and how chasing that really tears us down. So I guess first and foremost, I, there were just there were so many comments that were just like, oh, like you're going to be fine with where you're at, right? And and I don't share that to be disheartening. I know some people are like, oh my God, if you went through that process and you didn't find a job, what hope is there for me? That's not why I'm sharing it. Because look, I think right now with where the industry is, sort of creative director and down roles are fine. They're still hiring. But what it is, is I think like too many of us seem to think that we are less than, that others have done better, that that others are somehow immune, that they have answers that we don't. And it's just not true. And, but I think that this is the problem is that almost nobody talks about this stuff. Nobody talks about, right, like everything's always great and fantastic and, and everything happens easily and it doesn't. But we don't ever talk about that. And, and I think that creates a lot of mental health damage for too many people. And so I think that's the other part of why I want to do this is to let people look, know, look, you're not alone. Like I said, I've heard from so many people, thousands of people who've had the same experience, but all of almost all of them felt like they were alone in their journey, that they felt alone in that shame. They felt alone in being laid off. They felt alone in the frustrations that they were having, like somebody, somehow everybody else, because when you go to LinkedIn, that feed is filled with people who got new jobs. Why not me? Right. They felt alone and frustrated with the current state of, of where things are. And again, so many people aren't alone. I talked to so many people who were afraid to even put that green ring on LinkedIn that says open to hire because they were so afraid of what people were going to think about them. That, that I think they were afraid of like it was going to be some sort of scarlet letter where everybody else was succeeding but not them. So I wanted to, in whatever way I can, to publicly loudly let people know, no, you are not alone. That we, a lot of us, a lot of us, I know some of the most amazing talent in the world that is also unemployed at this point, that is also in the same situation, that we are all going through this together. But the other reason why I want to do this is not because I want to alienate 
companies or teams or try to be divisive about things. It's because I, I genuinely think a lot of companies need sort of a wake-up call that from what I've experienced over the fast, past five, six months, I, I was genuinely shocked that companies hadn't learned more from that great resignation, right? Especially at a time when you still see that so many employees are beyond frustrated and burned out. All you have to do is to look at, you know, there are apps like Blind that now exist for a reason. These are the canary in the coal mine. If you don't know what Blind is, and I'm guessing a lot of you probably do, Blind is an app where you can go and anonymously discuss what is going on with your company and see what is going on in other companies. So if you want to find out what's really going on in whatever company you want to go work for, if you want to go find out what the culture is really like, it it's sort of like Glassdoor, but a hell of a lot more honest because it is so anonymized. And look, there's a lot of content on there, and some of it is clearly biased. Some of the people clearly have an axe to grind. But the fact that that exists, to me, is a canary in the coal mine where, again, I'm not quite sure that enough employers are really thinking about this. If you just look at just the two, just two of my LinkedIn posts, the one where I said I got laid off, and then the most recent one, whenever I actually announced that I'm not going back to an in-house team and why. I think if you just want to look at the emotion, the frustration, where we're at as an industry, just those two posts alone got over 1.3 million impressions and over a thousand public comments. So which means there's probably at least two or 3,000 private comments. And, and this is the thing, right? You know, look, I, I'm, the reality is I'm not that smart and I'm not that popular, right? To just because I wrote two posts that it got that reaction. Those posts got that reaction because there is a lot that's going under the surface with people right now. And I don't, I think companies sort of feel like the great resignation is over that because of the economy, the power is more back in their hands, that, that things are sort of going back to normal the way that they were. And I just don't think that's true. Enough with the setup, right? Let's, let, let's actually get down to sort of why, why do I see this? What's going on? And whenever I look at the job market right now, whenever I look at what's going on with talent, with people's careers, with, with so many people that I talk to, I, I was talking to a good friend of mine. who He was, he was a uh, creative director on my team whenever I was at Citibank. It's a guy named Mike Tinglin. And I think Mike summed up the headline for this market and what people are going through, I th thought, perfectly. Because, Mike, we were talking and I said, look, like, what, what do you see? Like, what are you feeling like is going on? And he said, Steve, I really feel like we are in the era of defensive employment. And that's what I want to explore here, right? Is this concept of we are in the era of defensive employment. And what does that mean for all of us? And what's it going to mean for a lot of companies? And I think, you know, let's... Let's look at what's laid the foundation for this concept of defensive employment and then sort of unwrap where it's coming from, right? So why is this happening? Where are we at right now? Well, I think first and foremost, as we, I certainly have experienced firsthand, a lot of other people have experienced, it, there's been recently we've seen a lot of layoffs, especially in the tech and creative industries. And some are driven by what I think were the overhiring, the bad hiring that happened during the pandemic. Right. Companies have been struggling with these problems that during you know, the pandemic and things like that, it wasn't really a time or a good look to let people go, especially with that war of talent and those sort of things. So I think this recession gave them a great excuse to get rid of people. I think you've also seen, 
as that's happened, other companies have used kind of return to work as a way of doing softer passive layoffs. And a number of companies sort of said, look, you know, you have a month to be back in the office. And if you're not back in the office in that month, then we're going to assume you've resigned. Well, that sort of looks like one thing on the surface. But in a lot of cases, if you look behind the headlines, the companies that are doing this usually are up against either somewhere between five and I've seen as high as 20% layoffs that need to happen. Well, the reality is, is that if I can put a policy in place and I can get 10% of the people to just quit or to go away by attrition, that way, whenever I go back to Wall Street and tell them how many people I laid off, well, then laying off 10% of my workforce looks a lot better than 20%. So that some companies are using tactics like this around layoffs to be able to soften some of the numbers that are coming around their business performance. I think some of it is also being driven by that rush for talent. I think a lot of companies overpaid. I think you saw this in the housing market, the car market, right? We knew it wasn't going to be sustainable. And you knew that companies couldn't just keep paying and blowing the market out the way that they were with no consequence. And so I think, you know, at some point that needs to get normalized. Well, guess what? The way it gets normalized is they need to get their bottom line back under control. So what they do in a lot of cases is they lay people off to get the numbers back to where they need to be. I think part of it, the layoffs have been driven by what's been going on in the in the credit markets and the economy, where we've seen, I think a lot of companies were betting on cheap money or easy credit to keep sustaining their growth. And that whenever those markets tightened, whenever interest rates went up, they couldn't sustain the growth they were on. And so then all of a sudden, and this is sort of the tale as old as time, all of a sudden the uh, their money flattens out, they can't sustain the way their organization was growing, and then they have to lay people off. And I think that you know, the, the byproduct of this, the, the flip side now for a lot of us that are trying to figure out what's next, if we've been laid off, what, you know, where are we going to go? The, the effect has been that you now have talent flooding into the market. And so we have fewer roles with more talent so that that means that the few roles that are out there are more competitive. They're getting flooded with applications. We saw before all this happened, an average role got somewhere between 200 and 500 applications. That's now heading north of 400. And I think that you've also seen that it's let employers drive the price down and drive the seniority down on a lot of roles. So that, you know, again, in, in a lot of cases, I've been seeing the roles that I was applying for before are probably on average dropping in their comp by about 20 to 30%. And that was an SVP is now a VP, a VP is now a senior director. Everything's sort of been bumped down one level. And this is the byproduct is because of that flood of talent, companies feel like they've got more power to be able to start doing this. Plus, they need to start watching the bottom line more. So they're going to do that contraction. I think we have this struggle for remote versus hybrid versus in office. And this is something I think is going to take years to play out. But here again, this has a, a big bearing on what's going on in the market. Because studies have shown that as many as 70% of people out there said they would either take a pay cut um, or to be able to sort of drop down a level if it got them the work-life balance that they wanted or let them live where they wanted to. So I think this shift in putting ourselves first, this shift in work-life balance to spend more time with your family, to be closer to your family, to not have to live in major, incredibly expensive markets, continues. And I see that you know the, some companies are dealing with this in different ways. Some companies that I've talked to have said, well, look, anybody from like director and higher you can work remotely. You can work wherever you want because you have the experience, the seniority, you understand the structure. We'll fly you in whenever you need to, but you know we're going to give you that flexibility also because the senior talent is often a little harder to come by. 
But then in many cases, that's sort of director and down. So the more junior talent, you need to be in the office because we feel like you need that mentoring structure, those sort of things. Now, look, you can already start to see the tribalism that's going to start to play out here. Because I think, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of cases remote worked is because everybody was remote. Whenever you get some people who are remote, some people that are in the office, this goes back to what we saw before the pandemic, where you sort of get that tribalism of the people who are in the office feel like they're the ones that are getting real work done. And they forget to include everybody that's remote. And the ones who are remote feel like I'm being more productive and I have a better work-life balance. But then again, they aren't a part of those sort of hallway conversations that are going on. And here's the one thing I will say, because I've been asked this. Uh, I I don't think fully remote works. There actually were a number of companies who approached me who said, no, 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 we're going to be fully remote. You know, we're never going to get together. Everything's always going to be on Zoom. I don't think that works. I think that it either needs to be, you know, remote. I, what I think is the best is either hybrid, if you can do that from a location, or just being deliberate around once a month, once a quarter, whatever that is, you need to be able to get together with people because, I think you you have to find these deliberate moments to get together because in person still is a really big part of this, especially when you are creative, to build relationships, to be around people, to have those casual conversations, to do all that. That's just, it's intrinsically how we're wired. And I think, like I said, we're going to be years away from, I think, sort of this settling in and figuring out what's going on. But this tension is going to continue to exist. And I think, again, that's exerting and creating a bunch of confusion there. One of the biggest things I, I think I've also seen is I was really shocked, I guess, to find how I felt like companies learned almost nothing from the great resignation. Because I thought I would come out into a market where recruiting was more thoughtful. Job descriptions were better. Processes had been refined. I've been, bro I've been pretty vocal about how broken I think this hiring process has been for a long time. But I guess I was shocked to still find out how much, how it actually, I felt like had gotten worse. And I think for so many of us, we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? You're, we're, we are just fed up, frustrated, overwhelmed, pissed off by the almost complete lack of response. Whenever you actually apply to a company, getting ghosted by those companies during the interview process, the lack of feedback, whenever you get the email or the call from the recruiter that says, Oh, you know, we're going with another candidate, but they can't seem to ever provide you with any sort of um, feedback as to why. I think the overblown job descriptions that seem to ask for everything in the moon, yet don't want to compensate you for that. It, it's just really fed up. And, and I think that hiring is actually going to start to become a real differentiator. I think I've started to see generally smaller companies, though, that are really making this a big differentiator for them, where they are really being thoughtful around their job descriptions. They're being very transparent and thoughtful around what's going into the process to make sure that they are communicating. Some that I've seen are even compensating for people that if we're going to ask you to do a creative exercise, they're going to pay you for it so that you're sure that you feel valued. They're the ones that really understand this is the start of a relationship. This is the start of a process that is about trust. And it really draws a sharp contrast to so many other companies that treat it like a cattle call, that treat you like a number, that honestly, I, I just don't think they understand how demoralizing, dehumanizing the way that they treat people is. And that I know that for them, it's just a role in whatever it is, but they seem to have lost sight that there are people on the other side of this process and that we all talk. And that whenever you have a good interaction with somebody, you tell a couple people. When you have a bad interaction with somebody, you tell fucking everybody 
about just how bad that was. And I think they don't necessarily realize that a lot of the talent they're trying to get probably doesn't even want to come talk to them anymore because they've heard what the process is like. And so I think that is also then going hand in hand with there is a contraction around design. And I think this is not new, right? I I think that, you know, with every downturn, the first thing that you always see is you see a downturn in the economy. And one of the first teams that's always affected is design and marketing. I've seen this countless times before. But I, I think that over the last couple years that this is also going to be a bit of a contraction on design because a lot of companies leaned heavily into it. And as I'd sort of warned for the past, what, five, seven, eight years, that if those companies did not start to see the value in what that was, if we as designers could not get out of the commoditized relationship we were always in, there was going to be a contraction because they were going to move on to something else or not be willing to sort of infinitely invest the dollars into these teams and not feel like they were getting the benefits. And I think since they, in many teams, have struggled to make that successful, as a result, not many teams have been able to see the benefits of that design, and they've not been able to see it in the bottom line. Back again, when I was at Envision and we did that design maturity report, we showed that 83% of the world's design teams were stuck in the middle to the bottom of the maturity model we built. 83% of the world's design teams were not breaking through to be able to have that impact. So I think this is the knock-on of that, is that that frustration has led to a contraction. But I think we're also just seeing that we still haven't really figured out how to get design and companies to work together. Because I think that in-house is sort of where it's been. But but whenever I talk to in-house leaders, I've never talked to so many leaders who are so frustrated because they're just not getting that results, right? Like I said, they're stuck in that 83%. I think we see a lot of agencies that are still sort of struggling to find their way because they're still really good at the design and really good at some of the concepts. But I still think so many in-house teams, they're looking for the strategy, for the deeper change, for how can they get more into the work beyond just the execution. So agencies have struggled to try to figure out how do we get out of that commoditized position. And I think in a few too many cases, being outsourced headcount. I, like, I think that's probably an overly harsh way to put it, but I just, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it. I, I think you've seen consultancies showed a lot of promise. That is, you've seen a lot of the bigger consultancies brought in digital arms or agency arms to try to blend the strategy and the execution. And I think those have showed a lot of promise, but I think what I'm seeing in a lot of cases is the companies have either started to OD on consultancies. So you have two, three, four of them that are all competing and trying to, and they're as a result sort of canceling each other out. They come at a very, very high price tag. And especially in the contraction or downturn of an economy, those are harder to be able to hold on to. So I don't know that there's really a dominant model that I see right now that's working. But I think that so many of that, of this is about us, right? Individuals, about what's going on in our careers. And, and I mentioned it before, I don't know that I've ever seen so many great talents unemployed, I don't know that I've ever seen the hiring process so broken, but also I just don't know that I've ever seen a time where I've seen so many leaders and creatives so frustrated, right? They're sick of where they are. I've seen multiple, multiple friends, peers, acquaintances who are leaving their roles for nothing in the middle of, in the middle of again, an economic downturn because they just went to their CEO, CMO, CPO and just said, look, I just can't do this anymore. I can't keep showing up and letting this sort of like try to bleed me dry, and or again, the ones that are still there, the, the number that they have in their head is not 
what their budget is. It's not what their salary is. It's not how many people are on their team. The number they have in their head is how many days are left until that signing bonus they signed on, until the window for that is over and they don't have to pay it back because then they can decide what they really can want to go do. And and like I said, I, I think that a lot of this is summed up as another one of my friends described that I think a lot of the frustration is being born out of We've gone through such a long time where as designers and creatives, we showed up and we learned the business, right? We, we fought to get a seat at that leadership table. We fought to be able to work differently. We fought to be able to try to get the respect of the business leaders and all those things. But during that time, the business didn't take the time to learn design. And so we find ourselves years later in the same position, still struggling, still trying to break through. And, you know, recently a friend, of, a really good friend of mine asked me, if I thought trust can exist between a company and their workers. And I thought about it for a minute. And it was a simple answer. And I, and I don't think this is a new answer. I, I think that this has always been the case. Just sometimes it gets a little bit glossed over. And I just said, no. I, I, I've studied this. I've done past episodes about why I think trust is so important in our work, about how creativity and, and corporate structure tend to struggle to be able to coexist together. But... It, it really is a problem when that trust doesn't exist. And so I think this goes back to that concept I talked about before of defensive employment. Because what I think has happened and what I think is going on, and, and I've heard a number of other people, I, I recently heard an interview with Mark Cuban where he talked about this in a different way, is that I think that we are in an era of defensive employment because we all realize our future our careers are up to us. The, the days of being able to work someplace five years, you know, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, it just, it doesn't exist. I mean, it is so rare. I mean, it's like spotting a unicorn to find somebody who's been there that long. And I think that what had happened was the, the gig economy started with just freelancers, meaning I'm just going to be able to find that work-life balance. I'm going to work when I need to. I'm going to go in and sort of work on what I want to and I'm just going to understand that all my work is transient. It's a gig. Uh, but I think the problem now is that because of all of these factors, I think we all are now part of the gig economy, even if you're a full-time employee. Because people know that they're free agents. They know that they have to be up to themselves. They know that they need to be opportunistic and try to get to a better place means that they need to leave the company and go someplace else. And, and look, and I think, like I said, this is not a new concept because, and I've said this in the past, that I think either you know that stability and career safety don't really exist whenever you're working for a company or you work long enough to find out that fact the hard way. Because it's just, this is our challenge is that how can trust exist between people and team and, you know, whenever you know that all we are is an economic downturn or a bad CEO or a bad leader or something away from being shown the door and shown how disposable you are. That always sits in the back of all of our minds now. And I think this is why this era of defensive employment has come into being. And, and look, I really do believe that in these days, I think trust can exist between people. I think it can exist inside of a team. But finding that at a company level, at a corporate level, especially a company at scale, that's getting real hard to find those examples. Because... I think that, you know, whenever companies take these sort of actions, whenever they do this sort of stuff, it really, it sends a message. 
And I think too many of us at this point have seen too much, right? We, we've been through the economic downturn. We saw how people got treated during COVID. We saw how people got laid off then. We see how they're getting laid off now. We saw, because this was, again, the problem with remote that set a lot of this up was that when remote happened and we went from being in person to being remote, all your sort of organizational sin came to the surface. You could see where you had no trust, bad leadership, bad tooling, bad operations, like all that stuff suddenly became apparent because we could smooth it over whenever we could see each other in the hallway. We could smooth it over by those little interactions. When those came away and we were just left with sort of the, the raw naked truth of sort of what our culture and structure was like, whew, that wasn't always something that was fun to be able to see. And I said this in a meeting with a bunch of my peers the other day, and they looked at me like I was crazy. And I think this is easily, easily the weirdest analogy that I've ever used on this show, maybe even my career. But what I think is I think so many of us have seen that the companies we work for have almost become like amusement parks or like strip clubs, right? They're these places that manufacture a sense of belonging or connection. Whenever you go to Disneyland, can I visit Star Wars? Yes. Is it real? No. It's the same thing. Like, it sounds weird, but like when you go to a strip club, will, will the people that are there pretend like they're really into you and that they're attracted to you? Yes. Are they really? No. Right? In both cases, in all these different systems, it is driven by money and value. And that, you know, it's done to get your time and it's done to get your money. And at the end of the day, it's just how much are you willing to buy into the myth? How much are you willing to suspend that disbelief and sort of buy into the experience? And I think the shift is coming because of all these factors. And look, these are challenging times, but I don't want you to listen to the show and think that this is all bad news, right? Because I think moments like this are bound to create a shift. They're bound to create opportunity because in my perspective, I just, I don't see a way where the status quo is going to be able to hold against when all these factors are at play. When there's this much talent that's out there, when there's this much frustration, when, when there's this many things that are going on, some things are going to shift and, and that's going to cause some big reactions, and I think it's going to cause some opportunities. I think the last time you saw an era like this was when we saw the emergence of Airbnb and Uber, a lot of startups, a lot of agencies, a lot of creativity came out of the reaction to this moment. And so I think a few things are going to be at play here. I, I think that, you know, the last time I felt a shift like this was back whenever I decided to leave advertising and go in-house. I think that was years before it sort of became apparent that that shift was going to happen, that design teams were going to start to get built out in-house. Those weren't ever really taken seriously. That, that wasn't where serious talent went whenever they did that nearly as much. Like, were there a few? Yes, but predominantly no. I, I think I felt it a couple of years before the pandemic whenever I warned so many companies that if they didn't start investing in emotional and cultural innovation at the same rate, they invested in product innovation. They were going to risk losing their talent. We saw the great resignation off of that. This feels like another one of those moments. I think it feels like one of those moments because I think we're starting to genuinely see that true radical transparency. Again, you're starting to see apps like Blind Emerge. You're starting to see people share their salaries. You're starting to see private Slack groups of people inside of companies or WhatsApp groups. So it's encrypted and nobody can see, right? Like you're starting to see this behavior where you're starting to get this real transparency, around benefits, around treatment, around salaries, around signing bonuses, around a lot of things like that, that I think is going to create a level of accountability for companies that I'm not quite sure they're ready for. I think you're going to start to really see the rise of the design founder. 
because they've been in-house. They understand design more. They understand business more. They're much better equipped. And I think so often that's what we've seen is we've seen product founders. We've seen tech founders. I think we're going to start to see the rise of design founders. And I think you know, these are some of the people I've been trying to mentor because I really think that we're in a place right now to be able to start to lead some incredible, incredible, incredibly effective startups. I think we're going to start to see that. But I think the other big thing that we're going to see is I think we're going to start to see creativity shifting away from in-house unless some things really change. Because I think design has been a part of these in-house teams for a little bit too long. I think as you start to see the contraction, as you start to see the contraction because of the economy, as you start to see there not being as much faith in design as what there was because we invested in it, we didn't see the bottom line, but we didn't really make the changes we needed to get there. I think that these in-house teams used to be the place where creativity happened. And all of a sudden it feels like they just don't get it. I think that with too many teams that I talk to, they seem to, as a company, value compliance over creativity. Now, obviously, that doesn't apply to everybody. There's still, there absolutely are still great in-house teams out there. There absolutely are still exceptions to the rule. But what I'm I'm looking at is how many people I see are so frustrated, how many teams, whenever I'm going into and trying to work with them, where are the problems at? And I think this is a lot of the work that I've been doing is to come in to work with these companies, to have these conversations, because that's the other thing I'm seeing is that the other reason why I'm saying this is because of the number of teams that suddenly seem to need third parties to help them to be listened to, to be heard, to be taken seriously, so that people can see their value. That was always there, but it feels like it's at a, a greater place than it ever was. And I think we're going to start to see as that, that talent starts to migrate away from in-house, I think we're going to start to see a different way of working. I think we're going to start to see new models around agencies, consultancies, creativity. Because I think if you think about it, a lot of those small to medium-sized agencies and consultancies got bought up in droves over the last couple of years, right? I think there are big ones, Droga, Droga 5, Adaptive Path, like all these over years, so many more that I know. I mean, look, there's one network I know alone, I think bought north of 30 different agencies just in the past few years because they were so desperate for talent. This has created a lot of space, right? This created a lot because... As the big companies got bigger, I think that there definitely is a space now for a small to mid-sized agencies and consultancies, ones that aren't going to really work in that traditional way of working. I think they're going to be solo proprietorships. I think they're going to be small groups of people, or they're going to be sole proprietorships that bond together to form these sort of loose networks where they can band together, draw on each other's talents, bring in much, much better, much, much higher talent at a much, much lower cost to be much more nimble to be able to get in there to speak truth to power not be as concerned about you know existing only to try to maintain their retainer that i think they want to do really great work and will be much more honest and much more in service of that so i think this is going to be a shift and i look i think this isn't the first time that i've decided to bet my career on one of these shifts and that's why i'm actually i'm going to do it again so Whenever I made that announcement, I announced that, look, I'm not actually going back to an in-house team because so far I haven't been able to find one that I thought would really let me do the sort of work that I want to be able to do or that I can do or still have left in the tank that you know isn't going to sort of inhibit and going to make me into more of a politician than somebody that can really go do great thinking and great work. And as I looked around about that, and like I said, I think for me, I was really institutionalized in my thinking for that first two months of like, I have to go back in house, I have to go back in house. 
But over the last three or four months, my thinking's changed. And what I've decided to do is to be able to take advantage of this moment, to be able to try to set myself up for success, to prioritize my mental health, my happiness, set myself up to, I think, do the best work I can. And so last week I announced that I've decided that I'm actually starting my own independent studio called, appropriately enough, Crazy, spelled C-R-Z-Y. Let's cash in on the trend that everybody's doing. If you take a word, you drop one letter, and all of a sudden that's what you call your studio. So it it just felt that way, right? Because I, I still think that, for me, the ability to do great work means you got to be a little bit crazy. The ability to be able to try to change a culture means you got to be a little bit crazy. The ability to speak truth to power means that you got to be a little bit crazy. And so I've designed this studio to do three things. We're going to focus on strategy, design, and inspiration. Because what I want to do is I want to help companies find a new vision and purpose for their brands, for their digital experiences, for their creativity, and even their very existence. Because the strategy piece, I want to focus on business strategy. So helping you focus on what really matters to be able to bring KPIs and a lot of the business strategy into design. I want to focus on your product strategy to help you build really fucking amazing products. And also, though, focus on organizational strategy. Because I want to bring a holistic approach because I think my skill set allows me to work through the business piece, the product piece, and the organizational piece because you need all three of those for that work to go out the door. I want to be able to deliver digital advertising and brand design. Still love to be a designer. Still be able to work on that. Have an insane network of talent I can draw on to be able to work with us on all of this. But then I also want to work on education. I want to do it through education, through coaching, through inspiration, whether it's career coaching, leadership coaching, coming in and doing in-house keynotes or workshops to be able to help sort of inspire that organization to break through and to get heard. But I wanted that company that is going to focus on creativity. I wanted it to focus on partnership, to focus on honesty. I still think it is strange to have to call out honesty as a differentiator, but to focus on community. And like I said, I just want to do great work with great people. And, and I want to get back to working with some of the best friends, some of the best minds, some of the best people I've ever worked with from all over the world. So we're going to use that holistic approach to be able to get you that long-term vision and that near-term impact, by, but doing it holistically by looking at strategy, design, and people development to bring the experience that I and the other people I work with have from working on the world's biggest brands and working alongside the world's most innovative companies. We're going to build remote teams on demand so we can build processes, engagements that fit our clients' needs. And again, this allows us to be able to be much more nimble and much more cost-effective in the work we do that we will be dedicated and openly committed to being honest, right? Even when we have to talk about the hard truths, even when we have to speak truth to power, I think, you know, if you've been on this show long enough, you know my willingness to do that, but to really get in and not just triage the behavior, right? This is why so many of these agencies and consultancies don't create change because they just work with behavior. What are people saying? What are the meetings were happening? That's not the problem. You need somebody that can get in and have an honest conversation about the thinking of your organization and how do you change that? But I'm also, as I've done with this show, as I've done with ADP List and so many other things, that anybody who's a part of this is going to, we have to give back to the community. I'm going to do it through this podcast. I'm going to continue to mentor female and minority mentors. I'm going to continue to do free weekly mentoring. But my expectation is going to be that the people who work for me spend at least 90 minutes a week doing the same thing. Because, you know, just us getting better, us figuring things out doesn't cut it right? We all have to get better. We all have to figure out how to continue to share and get better. But that's what the last three months of, have, of my life have been, has been 
looking at this, trying to figure this out, looking at what is the way where I see the opportunity and then actually betting my career on it. And so look, if you are interested in having us come to talk about working with you, or if you're interested in, you just need some design help. Like again, I have a day rate to be able to do that. If you want me to come speak at your internal event, if you want career or leadership coaching, like you can reach out and get all the details so that the website for that is going to be crazy design. So crzydesign.com. And again, go check that out. And like I said, you can reach out to me through my site, through there, any of this sort of stuff. But it's this moment, like I said, where this frustration is going to create opportunity. And I think the challenge here is going to be for you to figure out what is your version of crazy? What is your version of being able to do this? And maybe it's not going to be the way that you thought. Maybe it's not going to be doing the thing that you thought was just maybe that's your last job. Maybe that's not your next job. So look, if you haven't, go back and listen to episode 120 and 122. These are about, the first one is how to short circuit the job market. And the other one is to figure out how do you know when you should quit? Because I think, you know, a lot of people are wrestling with this. A lot of people are trying to figure out what's next. What do they want to do? And, and look, there are realities to this. There are realities of life and bills and mortgages and kids going to college, right? These are not simple and easy decisions of just, oh, I want to go do cool shit. So I'm just going to go throw everything to the wind, right? That's not what this is. And, and again, I think even for me, look, I don't have kids. And it still was a three or four month discussion look you know, discussion with my wife, looking at our finances, doing a lot of things like that and saying, okay, look, you know, what, where do we need to be? What does this need to produce? Where, where does this need to be for this to be a viable option? But look, I, I think I'm just, I, I want to try to do this, I think, to encourage all of you to share more, to share more openly, to share more honestly, to try to help others out. Because I think it's amazing whenever you share that thing that you're afraid of, insecure about it. I think the biggest thing that I was reminded of during this process is that you just, you never know how much support you have until you ask for it. And I think letting people know where you're at, letting people that you know that you need help to be specific about what that is, it makes a difference for you and it makes a difference for others. And if you need that help, look, you know, reach out to me. Email me. You can reach out. You can reach me through my site. You can reach me through. Again, there's a contact that's on the page for the show. Remember, I, I still do three free mentoring sessions every single week on ADPLess.com. Every Friday from 12 to 1:30 Eastern. Every single week, I do three free mentoring sessions for anybody who wants them. Now, they usually book up quickly, so I'm guessing, especially after the show comes out, when you go, you're probably going to see that there's not any availability. But the trick is, so every single Monday, three new time slots become available. And every once in a while, I'm probably going to do one in November. I do what I call a Super Tuesday, where I literally spend from 9 in the morning till 5 at night, with the exception of a half an hour for lunch, and do nothing but 15 mentoring sessions straight in one day to try to get caught up and help as many people as I can. But also, if you want more ongoing support, like I said, remember... Now I'm doing coaching. I'm doing career coaching. I'm doing leadership coaching. I can come in. I can talk to your team. We can we can set up these ways to be able to try to be able to have me come in to help with what is going on with your team to be that voice to support what support what you're doing and to try to get more people to listen. So whether either it's on an individual basis or a team basis, reach out and let me know how I can help. And so I'm going to put links to all of this. Again, as always, I'm going to put these in the show notes. 
And you'll find links to all this, to what's going on with Crazy with my studio, with ADP List, and, and all that sort of stuff. Because there's also, there are over 10,000 mentors now on ADP List. So if you need advice, if you need mentoring, this is the place to go. The best leaders and the best talent in the world is mentoring for free on this platform. But like I said, I'm going to put links to all this in the show notes, which once again are just on thecrazyone.com. The crazy and the number one.com. But that's why I said, don't, don't get it discouraged by this. This is a moment of opportunity, a moment of reinvention that I think, you know, you're probably like me, where sometimes it just, you need to give yourself the permission to think differently because I, it still is the case. And, you know, I've done this show for six and a half years now. It's still amazing for me how I suck at taking my own advice. But, but it is, right? I think that moment of kind of believing in yourself, of putting yourself forward, of, of putting or prioritizing yourself, believing in yourself, especially if you're going through a job search, it is one of the hardest and most rebellious acts there is. It requires you to be crazy. So, like I said, go check out the show notes. I'll have links to all that stuff in there. Um, yeah, let's get to the ending nobody ever usually listens to. So as always, I think like, look, if you want to be able to follow the show, you can follow the show on LinkedIn or Facebook. You can follow me personally um, on Instagram or Twitter. I think everybody in legal always wants me to remind you that the views here are just my own. They don't represent any of my former employers. These are just my own opinions. And I finally, I say it every time because I mean it every time. And thank you for your time. I know the time is truly the only real, real luxury any of us have. I was incredibly humbled. You want to spend any of it listening to me. But... Look at that landscape, right? Find out where's that spot for you. Find out how do you fit in and, and be able to try to prioritize yourself. Because I think too many of us forget the collective power that we all have when we decide we want something different. So think about that. Think about how you're going to act about it. Check out what I'm up to. See if I can help with that. And as always, stay crazy.